Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. Folks, a birch is a tree, and Travis is a man. And Kyle, he's a hedge. It's time to talk about the Bears offense. Kyle, are you ready to hedge your bets today on this Bears offense? Are we making predictions? Like, Is that what you want me to do? I was just going to go through... Oh, I wasn't going there yet. I was. Oh, gonna... that's what you're doing. You're doing so, it right now. Okay, so tonight, folks, um, we're done with the draft, uh, which a lot of you've noticed because you've stopped listening for now, which hurts our feelings. Um, I'm just kidding. You're free to <laughs> you're free to leave whenever you want. I'm not gonna cling to your legs and cry and ask you to listen to me and validate me and my ginormous ego. He will um, do that. He absolutely will. I've seen I totally that. will. Oh god, yes. No, um so we're done with the draft content for a while and we have entered the long dark off season of the soul. We've got about two months to try to fill some content between now and training camp when the people are ready for the Bears content again and the Bears content will flow hot and heavy. So as just a matter of housekeeping I want to prep you folks for what's coming in these next few weeks. So so this week and next week, Travis and I are going to look at the roster by position group. We're going to start with the offense tonight, defense tomorrow. Just looking at these position groups um, and how we feel about each position group and, this, and the depth and the roster as it stands right now, having gone through the two main parts of the player acquisition cycle. We, we're done with free agency. Big free agency we're done with. Maybe not all free agency. You would still think maybe at least one or two more guys are coming before camp breaks. Um, kind of like they added Reef and Schofield late. You might see that more on the defensive line this year. But yeah, we're going to break down how the roster stands now. Uh, and then we're excited to tell you that in a couple weeks, uh, our sometimes mentioned former... Uh, member of our triumvirate is coming back. Eric is going to join us uh, to talk uh, something that he is very good at. We are going to discuss terrible Bears football players because uh, I want to start the hype train now. I want to get you folks hyped. Ten years ago, we did a tournament. It was the worst Bears players of our lifetime on the podcast way back when. And this year, we are bringing that tournament back. We are revisiting it because, as you might have noticed, in the last 10 years of Bears football, there have been some more bad players to really add into the mix. Um, And I will say, Travis was a little upset about this, but we are changing the rules of that tournament. It it used to be best Bears players of our lifetime. I I think this new one, we're going to do the best, the worst bad, the worst Bears players just of the last 20 years. Um, because the last time we did it, really, our lifespans had basically only been 20 years, so we're dealing with more or less the same time frame. But this also meant um, grandfathering uh, the tournament's winner last time, who was former Bears quarterback Cade McNown, grandfathering him out of the tournament so as to prevent him from walking to another victory anyways. Um so, so we will be revisiting the Bear, the Bad Bears tournament of well, moving it from the last twenty year to the last twenty years. Eric will be joining us for that. So, in a couple of weeks, we will start by uh, having an entire episode where we fight over who is actually going to get into the tournament, and mm-hmm. then we will do the tournament itself. So, we are excited about that. We know this is the time of year when folks really like to turn to remembering some guys, and we're very good at remembering some guys. So we'll get to that in a, in a few weeks. So that's that. So we, we will 
We will find ways to fill the content void in your soul as the football season reaches the dead portion. Uh, but tonight, yeah, I think, uh, I think oh, the yeah. idea is just uh, stack some episodes that are not yeah. time dependent. Things that you could listen to now. Things that if you're coming back at the end of uh, July, early August, when that football bug comes back and hits you again, and we get out of this horrible two month period we always get into at the NFL, you're gonna have yeah. like eight to ten episodes. You can just just fill your whole queue with start Kyle Orton if you want. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We will drown you in content. Um, so yeah, but to know tonight we're, we are, we are going to look at where this roster is at the moment. Um, and we're starting on offense. So we'll start with the position, the most important position. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are not going to spend in my, we should not spend in my opinion, too much time, uh, on the number one gentleman at this position right now. Because, one, if you've listened to this podcast so far and you haven't picked up that we are generally pretty optimistic and positive about Justin Fields, you need to practice your active listening, guys. You need to work on your active listening skills. Um, you might be hearing us, but you're not listening to us. Two, we're going to do one of the content episodes we intend to do at, uh, here at some point is just the Justin Fields episode. We are going to lay it all on the table, the good, the bad, the ugly, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, the reasons why I suspect maybe my parents didn't love me enough. Um, we're going to put all that out there in just one episode. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on Justin Fields tonight. Um, but suffice it to say, if I had to describe in one word how we feel about him, it's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, awesome. so the, how are we going to stretch that out into an hour? Uh, I mean, oh, I've got I've got stats. You know, I love stats. I've got them. I want to okay, discuss them. Um, it, it might just be a whole episode of me punching the invisible haters and and the arguments that they have put against. They have set forth the heresies they have set forth against our boy, and and I shall refute them, and I shall call them blasphemers. Um, but yeah, no, the the quarterback position right now on the roster, the Bears have uh, Justin Fields and the presumptive backup, P.J. Walker. Uh, and for that quarterback three spot that usually ends up on the practice squad, it's been it's been a it's been a long time really since carrying three quarterbacks was the norm. Uh, well, I really ever since they got rid of the emergency quarterback rule. Um but yeah, so the other two guys competing for that third spot, that practice squad spot, uh, are of course the Peter Man, um, a legend in his own right, and Tyson Bagent, Bagent, who I have to be honest with you, I, I had never heard of this university that he attended. It was a Division two university uh, called Shepherd University. Are you familiar with that, Travis? Yeah, of course. Uh, they they train border collies there, um, and, and animal husbandry like all over the sheep. Kyle um, Shepherd, just massive university, um, populating the world with uh, with sheep farmers. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, I would have thought that would be West Virginia. So um, no, coal miners. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, I I, I did Google this man, this Tyson Badgent. Uh, and he put up some numbers the last two years at Shepard. Would you like to hear the numbers? I guess. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay. So in 2021, our friend here, 
completed 67.5% of his passes for 5,000 yards in 13 games, or 15 games, with 53 touchdowns. Holy shit. Uh, And in 2022, this most recent year, he he did drop off a little bit to 4,580 yards and and 41 touchdowns. So uh, for his college career, this gentleman... Um, had 159 touchdowns versus just 48 interceptions. So uh, a quite productive shepherd he was. Um, he tended his flock well. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Tyson Badgett, Travis? I have, I have no thoughts. You have no thoughts? Tyson the only... Badgett is not going to make this team. <laughs> That's the only... my thought. The only, the only thought I had about Tyson Badgett was that I spent, like, five minutes trying to remember what was the name of the kid. Do you remember uh, he was with the Bears, I think, a couple preseasons during the Tressman era. He also, he went to, like, Platteville or something, and I remember he put up some preseason numbers, and Bears fans, of course, back in those days were just so desperate for anybody who wasn't Jay Cutler. I remember having at least one guy argue with me about this dude as, like, a real possibility. And so Tyson Badgett just made me think of that guy, and it took me a good five minutes to think of this person. And I believe his name, I think it was Matt Blanchard. Do you remember Matt Blanchard? Was a Bears preseason legend. Is he related to Tully? Is he Tully's son? I have no idea who that is. Um, I love making references you don't understand. Is that a wrestling reference or like yeah, a, It is a wrestling reference. Okay. Good job. Uh, uh, he played not wasn't Platteville. It was he Matt Blanchard Blanchard played uh, for Wisconsin Whitewater. Okay. Of and yeah, course. he was with the Bears for the 2012 and 2013 preseasons. So yeah, so yeah, um, I think it's Greatest safe to say back in uh, Rafters history. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say, obviously, Fields is going to be QB1. P.J. Walker is going to be QB2. Nathan Peterman is here to take some preseason snaps and probably cash a check from the practice squad, assuming... Um, I don't know what the, pre- the practice squad eligibility requirements are anymore. It used to be that, like, if you appeared in, like, four real games, you could never be on a practice squad. And now the practice squad just seems to be, like, where the coach's favorite clipboard holder gets a lifetime pension. Yes. Um, so yeah, Tyson Badgent might have his chance at being the practice squad guy. That's a that's a riveting battle to watch this preseason um, yeah. versus the legend Nathan the Peter Man. Um, but no, let's talk about PJ Walker though for a second. Yeah. Um, as a backup quarterback, so he falls into, in my opinion, there are like four types of backup quarterback. Ooh. There there is the young guy itching for his chance. Okay. There is the the quarterback competition backup, which usually means that your starter's not very good. So you've got like you've got your Dalton versus Foles or something like that, or you you know you have your um, you have your guy that you hope can win a game or two if he has to, like that you can keep running your offense with. And then you have the tank commander, which is what the Bears used, you know, Peter Mann uh, and Trevor Simeon and whatnot for last year, which is that, like, if you come in, you are not there to do anything other than help us secure the best possible draft pick. And okay. and so I do think P.J. Walker falls uh, into that category and signals that the Bears are at least going to try to win some football games this year because P.J. Walker, the, the hope is clearly there that if, if Fields has 
a season like he had last year where he plays most of it, but he's banged up in a couple games and he misses one or two games. Obviously, the hope is that P.J. Walker lets you keep that QB run game, keep some of those deep balls in there, doesn't force you to change your playbook, and the goal is to try to eke out a win or two in, in a field's absence. So I think that's what you're looking for with a backup like P.J. And I think it's he was probably a smart option if that's what they're looking for. Is that how you feel about him? Yeah. Uh, a few months ago we had talked about um, potentially picking up as a late-round pick Dorian Thompson-Robertson uh, for the same reason. We thought, well, here's a guy you could just plant behind Justin. You could throw in for a couple games and you don't change the offense, right? Instead, yeah. the Bears went out. They got P.J. Walker, uh, who I just Which... personally like. XX yeah, guy. Just a wonderful man. And yeah, you he's not Justin Fields. But you aren't going to change anything when he goes into the game, right. right? Yeah. Well, and he also, I mean, he has that pre-existing chemistry with DJ Moore, too. He does. That should come. I mean, they had the largest, they had the longest pass play in the NFL together last year. Yeah, so, PJ, uh, so PJ is more of a McCown kind of backup, right? He's a guy who knows what he has at receiver, and he is willing to let them do the work. Yeah, right? he, yeah he, was, he did not play afraid at all. I mean, he played with a little... A little too much dip on his chip at times with Sometimes. Sanders last year. There, you, there, you definitely want like. I mean, the confidence was admirable at times. Yeah. It really was. But yeah, um, so yeah, so you, I think you wanted us to make some predictions. I don't think I'm ready to do predictions tonight. I think I will wait. I think that could be like our last thing before the regular season starts, is to like actually make some concrete predictions. But I will. What I'm going to ask you as we go through these position groups this episode and next episode. Do you feel better, worse, or about the same of uh, uh, about this quarterback room than you did last year? Sure. Yeah, I'm not going to give number predictions, but I will kind of rank where I think these guys end up right now. Give you a little bit of that spice. Um, I think, obviously, in this case, it's better. I think Simeon, in terms of quality at the quarterback position... Um, you could argue one way or the other for Simeon or P.J. Walker, um, but as far as fit for this offense, for this team, like just coming in for Justin Fields randomly in a game, it didn't really make any sense. You're just right. not going to run the same offense well, with, with Simeon as you are with Fields. So with Walker, it's just like if he he's the kind of guy who if he comes in halfway through a game, the other team is going to be like, that's great. And then he's going to be like, fuck you. I'm going to throw it 40 yards down the field. They won't <laughs> expect it. And we're going to get some points out of it because he's a, he's a wild man. Uh, so Simeon so actually. definitely a shot to win. Simeon last year, I think, actually is, is, is backup quarterback category number five that I forgot to mention, which is the guy who's literally just there to help the starter learn the playbook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember, when Mark Sanchez was with the Jets, it, like, who his backup quarterback was the first couple years there? Mm-mm. It was like a 40-year-old Mark Brunel, who literally at one point admitted that he only took the job because he needed the money, because he had gone bankrupt investing in Whataburger franchises. Oh, God. Um, 
And, like, the thing is, the Jets knew that if Mark Sanchez got hurt and they had to actually play Mark Brunel, they were not going to win games with Mark Brunel at that point. It had been, like, ten years since he could throw a football at that juncture. They just wanted someone who wasn't going to make their starter feel threatened and was also going to help him, like, learn how to be an NFL quarterback. That was what was important to them. So I mean, you, you probably didn't have to go that far back. Given their reticence to play Joe Flacco last year, you might think that's what they were doing last year. Quite possible. Too, right? Quite possible, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what I think Steve I think he was there to, like, help Justin learn the footwork of the West Coast offense and, and like tell him how to go through, help him learn how to go through progressions and stuff. He was obviously never meant to, like, they weren't trying to win games with Justin Fields, so they definitely weren't trying to win him with Trevor Simeon, was the thing. This year, obviously, the hope is they're competitive, they're flirting with a wild card spot, at least, and if Fields goes down, you want someone who can hopefully help you finish out a game with a win or win a game or two in in a Fields absence. Obviously, anything longer than that, you're not going to win a lot of games because, I mean, there just aren't that many quarterbacks who can win a lot of games in the NFL right now. So, um, but yeah, overall, I definitely feel better about the quarterback room than I did last year. Yeah, without a doubt. So, next, I think we transition into what I, maybe you'll disagree with me. Um, If you had to ask me one position group on the entire Bears roster right now that I feel the best about in terms of top depth, etc. It is the running back room. I think that they have gone out and they have done a fantastic job assembling a three to four guys um, that I think all complement each other really well, that I think can make a great uh, rotation, that I think will let them do more things than they were able to do last year with their running backs. Right now they've got Khalil Herbert, who is your I would say your presumptive starter. I think if you had to ask, even with the addition of some of the, oh, you're gonna you're gonna go all about Dodds, aren't you? I think it's a I think it's a pure toss up. You think it's a complete toss up? Okay. Yeah. I think incumbency is what Khalil Herbert's got going for him right now. Plus explosiveness. Sure. I do think he is still the most explosive back on the roster. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's important, especially because I mean this is something that we that drove me nuts about David Montgomery. Uh, the mere presence of Justin Fields and the attention he demands from defenses opens up those wide-ass cutback lanes. And Herbert is so good at taking that one cut and going, whoop, and taking 20 freaking yards like that. And David Montgomery was so bad at it. He just left so many yards of the field. There was actually a chart going around today um, about running backs and rushing yards over over expected, and how Herbert was second highest in the NFL in that category. He got way more yards than you would expect an average running back to get in his same situation because he had really good vision for those cutback lanes and he was explosive. And David Montgomery was one of the worst because um, he's just not explosive at all. Um, but yeah, they've got Khalil Herbert, they've got Donta Foreman, they've got Travis Homer, they've got Rashawn Johnson. Um, and they've got Treston Ebner, which I think, like, we can agree he's fucked, right? Like, Treston Ebner's not making this roster. Not not happening. He got one year. uh, You got one chance. And now he's gone. I'm sorry. I mean, I will say this. I, you know, so you talked about this with Anthony Richardson about how you, you learned that, um, 
watching a quarterback throw the ball away could be exciting. Or like when Javier Baez, you would realize that watching a guy make a tag could be exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, Tristan Ebner was like, in a way he was kind of exciting for me because I have never seen a guy be so bad at just getting out into the pattern on a screen. He failed (laughs) epically every single time they asked him to do it. It was like... Very true. Like, that man just just bumper cars trying to be, like, panicking, could not leak out. I mean, there were two sacks, I think, in the Falcons game that were almost back-to-back. Both times, like, Getsy, like, wasn't trying to pick up shit. He was just trying to get a couple fucking screens and get out of town. And both times, Justin Fields got sacked because Ebner just, like, ran right into his offensive line and could not leak out to catch the fucking screen. <laughs> So, and, 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 like, he was drafted to be, like, maybe the change of pace, like, receiver running back. Like, you, yeah. like, like your, your Tariq Cohen light kind of guy. And so if you're that bad at that part of the job, like, goodbye. <laughs> you're not bringing anything to the table. So, um, yeah, I feel very good otherwise. So Ebner's gone, but I think of the, the four guys who remain, I do think they all add. I mean, Khalil Herbert is a burner. Um, Dante Foreman is a bruiser and a bruiser in the best way. I mean, he had, um, like, I think, I can't remember what the stat was, but was ranked very highly in the NFL in terms of yards after contact, just fights through tackles. Travis Homer, I talk about, I think is a guy that, um, is kind of underrated as a pass blocking running back. Um, and I think maybe was underutilized in Seattle as a receiver. Um, and then you have Rashawn Johnson who Ryan Poles keeps mentioning they did not expect Rashawn Johnson to be available when they picked in the fourth round. They ran these uh, 53 simulations, he said, and none of them he was there. I don't know that their game plan for the season ever included actually drafting this guy. No, um, I agree. I think they just, they literally, that was the most best player available um, because they had kind of constructed a really, what was in my opinion, a very well-balanced room before the draft to where you could argue they didn't need another yep. running back. But then I think Poles was like, well shit i mean this guy could just simplify things and eventually become the every down back that we don't currently have so um but i also like that <clears throat> i also like that they don't need him like, they don't need him to be that guy like and i think it'd be yeah. awesome if as a rookie his pass pro skills from college translated because he was a very good pass pro running back in college i think it'd be awesome if his hands as a receiver translated and sometimes it does translate as a rookie and sometimes it doesn't i don't think they need it to if he doesn't end up being a rookie sensation that's not the end of the world um but it could be a very good problem to have if you're looking at rashawn johnson after training camp and you're like we got to find a way to get this guy on the field i know herbert's great i know we like donta foreman i know we thought homer was going to have a bigger role here than he had in seattle but um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not one of the people that's like, Roshan Johnson's going to win the job by week one, but, uh, it could happen. I feel very good about him as a player. I, I think it'd be a good problem to have if it did happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for Homer, uh, because like you said, um, and like we've done at several other positions on this team, they built a room that is extremely balanced, that covers for each other's weaknesses, um, that that works very well together. And the running back room with Herbert being, you know, the guy who's, like you said, great agility, going to get down the field, nice explosiveness. 
Dante being the thunder to his lightning, and then you had Homer, who we kind of thought, like, well, that, that guy's coming in to block when he needs to, and he's going to play special teams, right? And I absolutely agree. I just don't think they ever thought they would get Roshan Johnson in the fourth round. They seem to think he had, like, a, a late second-round grade, something mm-hmm. like that. And he made it all the way to them, and they had to pull the trigger. And I, I think Homer's getting pushed out almost completely to special teams. Yeah, I mean... There's there's going to be a point in the season, you'd think, where if Roshan's skills, like you said, translate, if he could block as well as he did in college, if he's as good catching the ball as he was in college, they're going to be like, why don't we just have this guy in every down? Like, what's the point of keeping yeah. Khalil in? Who can't block, so people know that he's a non-threat there on those plays. Danta, he's not a guy who's going to catch, you know. But Roshan, it could be anything. The play could be anything, and he's going to play well with it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. The running back room is probably the best position group we have. We almost have too many running backs. Yeah, and and the other thing I like about this too is. Last year, that Herbert injury, when he missed a significant amount of time, that that really freaking boned them. There in was that a department. period of time before that injury where Herbert was was looking like... He was averaging. He was averaging like seven yards per carry. It was insane. Yep. Um, so when Herbert went down, they, it's not just that they lost their home run threat. Um, it was that the other running backs they had on the roster, were, I mean, they weren't really running backs like Darrington Evans is a special teams guy um Tristan Ebner was brought in to be like a receiving only running back and he wasn't even good at that like they they literally didn't have anyone other than Monty that they could give real carries to and as we've discussed you know Monty good guy hard-working dude tough dude just not explosive slow plotting um it really and and what you saw the QB run game really take a hit after that too because it, every time they tried to run some of that option stuff that they were doing you just saw two guys go after fields on every option pitch because they're like what are you going to do pitch it to Montgomery for three yards fine make our day you know go ahead um and I feel like this year is this year's room is way more insulated against injury because uh you know you're not screwed if Dante Foreman has to get 20 carries in a game, and I don't think you're going to be screwed if Khalil Herbert's getting 20 carries in a game, and I don't think you're going to be screwed if Rashawn Johnson's getting 20 carries in a game. You might be a little screwed if Travis Homer is getting 20 carries in a game. That's probably not the scenario we want to end or end up with. Um, yeah. But yeah, it happens is if angry Iowa running back hating God finally migrates to the yeah. Chicago Bears. So I think I think this is a this is the one position group on the entire team where I am like they could survive two injuries. And still, I think, yep. be good. So, yeah, I would have to say, if you're asking me, better or worse than last year, 100% feeling better about the running back room. In terms of in terms of ceiling, in terms of floor, in terms of depth, absolutely feel much better about this room. Yeah, if I had to, like, if I had to put a ranking on this, this running back room, uh, like, just around the NFL, just based on depth, it's probably top five. Uh, like, I mean, it, depending on if Herbert can do what he did last year in short bursts over the long yeah. haul. I This could be, especially it's, with Fields at quarterback, yeah. this could be the best running team uh, in the league by a mile. So Yeah. Well, I, got, I would hope, given the resources they've invested into it, the best running team in the league should be the Atlanta Falcons. And if they're not, good Lord. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about... The, we we'll were talking talk about, about Terry Algier uh, later, if you want. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I mean, just just as a sidebar, we did talk about this a little bit, though. Like, when people talked about the Bijan Robinson thing, it was entirely in terms of just, like, in an abstract, do you take a running back that high? And I was almost... I definitely didn't want the Bears to do it, but I, I was a little sympathetic to the argument that, like, this was kind of a weird draft, and he's a surefire top 10 talent, sometimes you just take the best player on the board. But I do think it's 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 worth noting that, like, for the Falcons specifically, they spent the eighth overall pick on a guy who's, you know, you would have to be really, really good as a rookie to be even, like, a 10% improvement on what Algier gave them just last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I laid it I think I used LaDainian Tomlinson's rookie year as the example. Like, he, even if he had LaDainian Tomlinson's rookie year, that's, that's barely, that's like a 20, 10 to 15% improvement over what Tyler Algier did last year. That's a hell of a pick, hell of a lot to give up for such a marginal improvement. Especially when you have the Bears running back room as an example. Um, I think they have substantially upgraded this room and it's cheaper than it was last year. It's certainly cheaper than it would have been to retain David Montgomery at what the Lions paid him. And it, all that call it cost him was, you know, a couple not really guaranteed contracts to Foreman and Homer and, and a fourth round pick. So I, I just running backs around the league. Uh, it's hard to understand. Donta Foreman, one year, 4 million. David Montgomery, three years, eighteen million to the Lions, and then the Lions. We'll use the twelfth overall pick. The twelfth overall pick on a running back. It's. I mean it. It doesn't make it. I can't make sense of it, so I'm not going to try. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah. So the running back room, absolutely feel better. Probably the deepest, best unit on the team right now, for what that's worth. And as we know, running the 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 unfortunately downside of it is the Bears probably were the best running team in football last year, and they won they won three games. So there is a limited utility to having the best run game in football. But it's better to have it than not have it. And I do think once again they should have it. Yeah. So uh, the next unit we will move on to uh, is definitely what I would consider to be the most up the most upgraded unit of any on the team so far uh and that is of course yes no no (laughs) there you you even mentioned fullback because yeah of course um he's still there and then dude i mean i will say this you know how excited i was last year when the bears actually brought a fullback back yeah um Blossom game is really good at what he does. And you can look at the rush numbers with him on the field versus without him. That dude, uh, as far as full... So if if, if we're rating the fullback room, which is just him, uh, I love that dude. I think I'm glad they brought him back. I think he's going to... I think he's a good fullback to have. A-plus um, fullback game, Bears. Absolutely, yes. So... Oh, uh, what were you talking about? The wide receiver room, I think, oh. is the most upgraded unit on the team. Now, the funny thing about it is we were going through, uh, I think that one list, we were trying to figure out where exactly this wide receiver room ranks in the league. We did. And I have them as, like, maybe the 13th best wide receiver room in the NFL, but that is such a massive improvement from last year entering camp when they were clearly, like, number 32. And and if Mm -hmm. you threw in a couple college programs like Ohio State, they would be down at, like, 38 so um i do think they're the most massively upgraded room uh position group on the team i will have to say it's very funny they uh they re-signed dante pettis and and esb they get they announced this 
they had re-signed Equinemy of St. Brown before the season even ended, and they announced Dante Pettis like a week before the draft. Um, and I had literally already forgotten that both of those guys were technically back because. So here's the room. Here's the wide receiver group as it stands, uh, and I'm just reading these guys off in, in alphabetical order from the the Bears website, uh, not Please in terms do. of the depth charts. So we've got Chase Claypool, obviously. Uh, Aaron Crookshank. I I don't know who this guy is, but he's five foot nine, 165 pounds, so almost as big as the Vikings' first round pick. Um, <laughs> yes, Vikings fans, I'm nourished <laughs> by your hatred. Still fucking on it. Uh, <laughs> Darius Fountain? I don't remember this man. Was he on the team? He's always from Northern Iowa. Never mind. Go Panthers. Um, he's gonna he's gonna rock this shit. Uh, Valus Jones. That's funny. They have him listed as a wide receiver. Um, <laughs> he gets to be just... with the other guys and everything. That's adorable. Uh, wow. Darnell Mooney. I remember that guy. DJ Moore. I've heard good things. Dante Pettis. Uh, a guy named. I'm going to assume this was pronounced Tyrick Pitts from Delaware. Um, Joe Reed. I, I Yeah, there's some some futures contract guys on here, I think. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Scott, Equinemius St. Brown, and Nasimba Webster. So I think we can we can just not talk about, about half of those guys I just listed off. So I really think for the purpose of this discussion, there are um, – there's – obviously there's DJ Moore – there's Darnell Mooney, there's Chase Claypool, there's Tyler Scott, Valus Jones, Equinemius St. Brown, and Dante Pettis. So there's there's seven guys there. Uh, is that right? Moore, yep. Mooney, Claypool. Okay. Last year, they carried six into the season. Um, so assuming they do the same, one of those dudes has got to go. And, and I think the easy answer, like right now, is just assume it's one of St. Brown or Pettis. But I think the fact that they even bothered to re-sign those guys at all really says that if I were Valus Jones, I would be doing everything I can to have a robot shoot punts at me just all off-season long. Because, bro, I think your best chance of making the roster is to figure out how to not muff every punt that comes your way. Um, yeah, you better be on special teams, that's for yeah. sure. Because, I mean, I think as a as a current year fourth-round pick, Tyler Scott is obviously safe. Uh, mm-hmm. Next year, he might not be. And I think one of the best things about Ryan Poles, and we, we have mentioned this before, is he does not seem like he plays favorites, and he does not seem like he lets sunk cost affect him at all. He gave the 32nd overall, pit, overall pick for Chase Claypool, and when that move didn't look like it was paying dividends immediately, he moved heaven and earth to get DJ Moore, that he did not just do what Jerry Angelo would have done, which is say, well, we still think Chase could be a number one. That was our big move. We're not going to spend the 30-second overall pick to get a guy and then, you know, keep adding to it or whatever. Um, I don't think he's attached to Valus. I think even as as a third-round pick last year, I think Valus is going to have to put up or shut up in camp this year because Dante Pettis, I don't want to see him get any more reps on offense this year I, I I have psychological damage from that man's hands but Dante Pettis is a pretty I mean he's a good punt returner he wasn't bad at returning punts last year um, and I think that's why specifically why he was resigned I think they are saying like look Valus either you're going to learn how to return punts or you're not going to be on this roster we'll just have Dante return punts yeah. um, 
the one that's a little hard for me to imagine staying anymore now that Tyler Scott's on the roster is Equinemius St. Brown. Um, I think that contract... That stuns me. I would think the opposite. He does not play special teams, which is quite a luxury for wide receiver five. Okay, well, see, I was just about to go into a whole thing about ESB, so I will, I will do that. Do it, do it, last, do a so whole thing on ESBS. I'll do it. Give me the. Here's whole thing. the deal: the difference between last year and this year. Equinemius St. Brown last year was in a place where he had to be a wide receiver too, and he does not belong there, and he never has throughout his, his entire NFL career. But the perfect place for Equinemius St. Brown is a wide receiver four. Because that dude runs block like run blocks like a machine. He will line up in four wide receiver sets, and he can allow Justin Fields to get out on a speed option. I'm just I warning you. We we talked just, about this. Hold on, I'm just gonna stop here. I'm just warning you right now. There is a guy who's a friend of mine who, who listens <coughs> to this podcast, talks to me about it every week. I'm gonna shout about right now. Hi, Rudy. Uh, this man loads Equinemius St. Brown. Does he, he make him so. He loathes Equinemius St. Brown so much, um, and he hates when people cite run blocking because, in his opinion, that's not what a wide receiver should do. So I just want you to know, Travis, uh, at this very moment, you're making a mortal enemy of loyal listener Rudy. So apologize to Rudy as you do it. Yes, do it. Let me talk directly to Rudy. All right, Rudy, here's the deal. You're right. When it comes to a wide receiver who is meant to play as a number one option, as a number two option, as a number three option, they should not be good at run blocking. However, when you are building a team where every wide receiver fills a particular spot, where all of the wide receivers complement each other like we have, you've got DJ Moore at the number one spot, Chase Claypool is the outside threat at the number two, not eating up that number one corner anymore, he's going to have a great year. Darnell Mooney gets to focus in the slot where he is like extremely good, extremely talented. Um, that's having a fringe number one guy as maybe your number three wide receiver option, maybe not even, maybe your number four option on a pass play, depending on where Komet is going. Um, and so with all of those guys on the field, what's left is if you want to run a spread concept, Maybe you want a guy out there who can run block. You spread the field, you run Justin at a guy, and yeah, it's a wide receiver, but it's a dude who can block. Now, here's the deal. Do I want to watch Equinemius St. Brown come slow out of a break again and cause an interception? No, I I would rather die than watch that again. But this year, when he's coming in and we're saying, I don't know, maybe you could cut him, if he makes this roster and he is that number four wide receiver, I think he's going to spend a lot of time out there doing the dirty work, essentially, in these spread concept plays. And I think that's enough to keep a guy like him on the roster instead of keeping... I mean, the other option, if you got rid of him, is keep Pettis and Valus Jones, which and Tyler Scott at the same time. I, I don't see that. I don't see keeping all three of those guys, and Scott is definitely staying... I think, like you said, this is basically a special teams competition. It's so, who's better at special teams, Valus Jones or Dante Pettis. That's the one we're keeping. Interesting. And, and I, I will say, ESB knows the playbook, knows this offense in and out. That's what they always say. He's obviously been with it going back to his Green Bay days with Getze. 
Um, Getzey was his wide, was started as the wide receivers coach in Green Bay. So, uh, like it or not, that is obviously something that the coaching staff values is having that one guy that like. If injuries do occur, you at least know he's theoretically going to be in the right place. Although, as we saw in that Green Bay game, he, he might he might get there a tick too slow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I really yeah I I personally also don't really think it's the end of the world if if ESB makes it as wide receiver five. I'm very glad that they got Tyler Scott because going into the draft, I didn't particularly feel very good about basically needing just one injury to to mean that Equinemius St. Brown's getting serious reps at wide receiver. but um, Yes. Now that's important to note because I don't think there's a situation where with Scott on the team, we have DJ Morgan injured, suddenly Equinemius St. Brown's on the outside. I think Tyler Scott moves into the outside no, I th- at that point. Right, yeah. I would think, yeah, I would think it... If DJ Moore gets injured, then you have Mooney kind of go into the DJ Moore role, and you have Tyler Scott slot into the Darnell Mooney role, and you leave Chase Claypool where he is. Um, and Equinemius St. Brown also should not be a thing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, just in general, I mean, I think a depth chart where you entered camp last year with Equinemius St. Brown as wide receiver two, and this year you enter with him as arguably not even wide receiver five, like that's. That is a massive improvement. I'm going to borrow from Nate Tice over at The Athletic, who keeps talking about, like, the main goal with this wide receiver room should have been to go from shit to not shit. And I think very firmly they are not shit. And one of the things we've talked about, too, is this this offensive, or this wide receiver room, it really does complement each other well. Those top three guys especially all do different things and all bring different things to the table. More is a vertical X. He is a downfield menace. He has managed to get open and get make big plays with just atrocious quarterback play in Carolina. Um, and, he, and he pairs so well with what Fields wants to do. I don't want to... I don't know that, that DJ Moore is going to be better necessarily with Justin than he was... Um, with the Panthers just because I, I really I still am not sure how often the Bears are going to throw the football but I definitely think it is possible just based on what he does best what Fields does best and how I think those two styles will mesh I do think DJ Moore very likely ha- could have the best year of his career this season I think we could see a level to him that we have not yet seen before just because of how well he fits what Fields likes to do with the deep ball and, and things like that um, and yeah Mooney Put him in when you put him inside, where he can, where he can play off the line, avoid the press, where he can just use his speed. Um, there's just so many things there. Claypool, a little bit like Quentin Johnson, where we said a big man who doesn't really play like a big man. I think you instead of really, you know, kind of giving him the go up and get it balls and stuff quite as often as you would like with like a big X like that. Um, he might be more of like your yak guy. You're manufactured, you, you know, you kind of just throw that guy at something quick and let him run after the catch. That's what he tends to do well. Um, but I also think he's a very big, very good red zone threat, um, too. So there's just, there's all kinds of things like there. And then Tyler Scott, uh, like I said, another guy who complements fields so well, because what, I mean, what he does best is definitely work and win downfield, too. Um, so yeah, there's all that. And then Valus. <coughs> Valus, I mean, 
he's probably just going to be the gadget guy if he makes the roster, but I, I do think he showed in limited opportunities last year he can't he can be really good as that gadget guy as we talked about. He averaged yeah. like fifteen yards per touch. Some yeah. of those rever- I mean he had that forty nine yard reverse against the Vikings. I mean some of those manufactured touches, like he did a good job on them. Uh, and he even had a couple deep balls late in the season where he fought and went and got up and, and got a good deep ball. So if he can just, you know, be a, a, a reliable decoy deep sometimes, if he can take those screens, if he can take those handoffs and, and turn it into something, that's not a bad wide receiver six option to have, gadget guy to have either. So um, if you had to ask me, like if you told me to put a letter grade on this wide receiver room, I still think it's more like a like a very good B plus unit, but I think it's a B plus unit made up of, of multiple Bs. I think I think Darnell Mooney, or not, I mean I think DJ Moore is is like an A. Uh, he's not like an A plus guy. I, I I do think he's a true wide receiver one. I don't think he's in that absolute top tier of guys. That's like Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill. Um, Stephon Diggs, you know, a couple other guys that I think are just, like, true game-breaking, have to work your entire game plan around stopping them dudes. But I think he's a true number one in that he creates for himself. He's going to command double teams. He can beat double teams. Um, and then I think you have, you know, in Claypool and, and Mooney, they might be more B, B-minus wide receivers, but I think they both are Bs. Um, so, yeah, I, I think as a, as a as a room, this it, it's a deep room. There are, there are now... Uh, three to four guys you feel good about, and you feel good about them in the role that they're going to be asked to play. Mooney is not a, is is miscast as the best wide receiver on your team, but we have seen him be extremely productive before as the number two option. He had a thousand yards the last time he had a guy in Allen Robinson, and it wasn't even the best version of Allen Robinson, but he still drew Allen Robinson attention. Um, we've seen Mooney be a thousand yard receiver there, so I feel really good about the wide receiver room. I do think it's the most improved unit on the team so far. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things. What you said about Mooney there, um, I think you're right. I think this is a, a very a B-plus wide receiver room, but I think with the way that they work together, not just with the you know the averaging out of all of their grades, with the way that they are going to work as a unit, I think they could play like an A, A-plus wide receiver unit because they are all exactly where they need to be. You're right, Mooney in that number one spot, He's he is completely miscast, but you put him in the slot, and suddenly the other guy is overmatched for Darnell Mooney, um, and uh, it just unlocks everybody else on the team. Um, but also, uh, something we're going to talk about a lot more next week on the defense episode, but we're going to talk about here a bit too, like you mentioned, um, there's this concept uh, that we talk a lot about. Um, there was this article written, it was like 15 years ago now, but it was about how the difference between a zero-war player in baseball and a two-war player is the same difference as there would be from a negative two-war player to a zero-war player, right? They People always underestimate the improvement from absolute dog shit to fine, to mediocre. It is the same jump in value. And like you said, this wide receiver room last year was undoubtedly dead last in the NFL. There's no argument. Um, except for maybe midseason San Diego. Like, maybe they ended up a little bit worse, I think. Um, but 
even if we hit the low end of what this wide receiver room can be, even if I just like throw my hands up and say, sure, it's like the 16th best wide receiver room in the league, maybe uh, somebody just doesn't play up to par, that is so much better than what we had last year that it's almost impossible to believe that there wouldn't be a massive jump in improvement uh, and in quality. Well, and I think something that a lot of people, like outside observers who didn't watch the Bears as closely didn't realize is not only did they have like a bad wide receiver core like in general, but like it it got hurt a lot too. Mooney went down with almost half of the season left. Claypool... They had, like, one game with Claypool and Mooney together when Claypool, you know, actually sort of knew the playbook. Um, and then Claypool missed a month. At, I mean, so this, I mean, the wide receivers that they had in, hold on, who, what was the lineup for the Bears-Eagles game? I just want to look at who. And Simba Webster was getting a lot of playing time out there. Dante so, Pettis had way too many opportunities to drop balls. Yeah, so the the wide receivers who caught passes against the Eagles uh, that week, it was Byron Pringle, Equinemius St. Brown, Nasimba Webster, Dante Pettis. So that was a game where they did not even have Mooney or Claypool. Like, that wide receiver core got worse, mostly, as the year went along. And it started as the clear worst in the off. So, yeah, I'm glad you referenced that. Not giving those reps just to sub-replacement level players is is so huge. Just the assumption, I mean, when we talk about how Justin Fields needs to learn how to trust the play and anticipate, it's so much easier to do that when you have professional wide receivers. And maybe they're not stars, but just knowing that you can probably trust that this guy is going to be where the route says he should be. Right. <clears throat> that he's not a practice squad player called up this week who doesn't necessarily know what he's doing, who can only run two routes. It, it's It's huge. Um, so, yeah, the, the aggregate effect, uh, and I talked about this too, where Fields, you know, Fields averaged about 150 yards passing this year, and with his rushing ability, you really only need him to pass for about 200 yards per game this year to really be like a top 10 quarterback in the discussion, given what he brings to the table with his legs. And so when you're talking about him getting to 200 yards passing per game, what that really comes down to is about 50 yards more per game than he had last year which broken down is maybe five more completed passes per game. Do you really think with with DJ Moore, Claypool, Mooney, Tyler Scott as his top four guys versus Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, Dante Pettis, Nassimba Webster, Nikhil Harry, do you really think five more completions per game is that unthinkable? Because I don't. I think it sounds incredibly... Reasonable. That's what we're looking about. So, yeah, I, this is. It's, it's a huge I mean, difference. I think I think people are going to be stunned. Uh, some people will be stunned <laughs> by the improvement they see. That's just because I think they're going to go back and be like, "Man, was the Bears wide receiver room last year like the worst in NFL history?" I think that's going to be the talk at the end. It was of the really season. bad. Well, and and I mean, the wide receiver room that he had his rookie year was yeah. pretty damn bad. I mean, because Allen Robinson, Robinson was dead. I mean, didn't I, know. Yeah, I mean, it was glad I was not. I, I'm sad about it because I love Allen Robinson. Um, I, I would have liked to see him get that chance to play with a better quarterback, but um, I, it was validating that Allen Robinson was completely cooked with the Rams because I really, I was like, was he cooked or was Justin just bad as a rookie? And the answer is no, he was cooked. Um, but yeah, Robinson was cooked. Mooney was obviously good, but I mean, even then, the other wide receivers they had were Goodwin, 
Demir Bird. I mean, that was probably like the 27th worst wide receiver core right. in the NFL, and then they went to 32, and then they got worse from that through injuries and attrition. So this is this is a massive brute. It'll be the first time we have seen Justin Fields play with average wide receiver play at, at almost every wide receiver position. So that that's huge. It's definitely the most improved unit on the roster, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you want to real quickly go over tight? I I don't think we have a lot of hot takes about tight end. Yeah, I, I think tight ends. It's not worth really. Met. Chase Allen. I think they do seem to like him. He might be tight end three this year. Uh, but and we already talked about when he got signed. I mean, Robert Tanyan. I don't think Robert Tanyan is amazing, but I do think the Bears now have something they did not have last year, which is when they run, uh, when they run twelve personnel. Um, and they run those two tight end sets. Uh, they have two tight ends who are legitimate threats to run routes and catch the ball and be a target. Um, yep. And I think 12 personnel with a running quarterback especially really gives you a lot of options, a lot of ways to put opposing linebackers in a blender. Um, they should get some good play-action looks with Robert Tanya and Cole Komet, no doubt. There, there should be some good stuff they could do there. You feel better about tight end as a group, too. Um, and then, obviously, last but not least, we talk about what was definitely uh, – sometimes it's hard to argue which was the worst unit on the 22-22 Bears. Was it their defensive line? Was it their offensive line? Was yeah. it their wide receivers? Um, but, yeah, the offensive line, if the wide receiver group is the most improved, this is maybe the second most improved unit on the team. Linebacker um, exists. Linebacker. Linebacker did happen. Yes, yeah. you got me there. Um but yeah, on the offensive line, they have added Nate Davis, who they have confirmed is going to play right guard. Tevin is going to move to left guard, um, which I do think is the right move because I mean, Great Tevin, decision. I mean, yeah. Tevin, Tevin learned right guard in like a week, so I think he can probably handle left guard with a whole off season of reps. Um, and and he has always said, I think that the left side is his natural side. Anyways, he played right tackle at Oklahoma State, but he. He personally preferred left tackle. I assume the left guard um, should be the same. Uh, and I think his style of play, um, I, I don't think the footwork is really the main thing for him. The, the way he likes to play it, I don't think changing the left guard will be the same. So uh, either way, with Nate Davis there <coughs> solidifying the other guard spot, they, they should have improved guard play. Um, with Darnell Wright, I think we have said enough on here about how we feel about Darnell Wright. Yeah. Um, we definitely think they should have a much stronger uh, Darnell Wright should be better at right tackle than what they got last year out of Borum and the Corpse of Reef. Braxton Jones, you would hope, gets better in year two. Uh, did get better as a rookie as the year went along. Um, and then you would also hope, and I'm guessing this is the theory they are going with, um, if they feel that they have solidified the guard spots um, and simply getting rid of Sam Mustafer. Whoever wins out of Patrick and Whitehair in the center competition should have a lot of help with those two guards next to him. He should not have to bear the weight of the world by himself. Um, and what I have heard is is center for them is one position, and the reason they seem content to go with a veteran um, over you know drafting a guy. Uh, I have heard they tend to think of center more as a mental position than a physical one. They really think with fields, especially what they really want is a guy who knows the protections, can call out the protections, knows the scheme, can kind of make up for some of fields' 
deficiencies in terms of identifying those things. Uh, and it was something that Mustafer was extremely bad at. Um, the guy was not very good at the mental part of the game, but he made up for that um, by being even worse at the physical part of the game. Um, but yeah, I, 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 and I, I did say this too about Lucas Patrick because um, once it was clear the Bears were not going to do anything about center, uh, I entered rationalization mode um, where I'm very good. Uh, we're Bears fans. We're elite level. So fucking good at rationalizing. But I was going to say when you talked about. Patrick versus some of the free agent center options. And I said, if they sign Lucas Patrick as a free agent today, what I would say about him to talk myself into it is last year he was hurt. He missed all of camp and all of the preseason. When he came back, he was playing with a club on his hand, which meant he could not play center, which they said repeatedly was the position that he wants to play, the position where he feels better at it, where he has played best at when he was in Green Bay. He had to play then out of position at right guard, then was moved to left guard um, when Cody Whitehair got injured. And so he was very, he was very bad last year. Um, But you could argue, you could convince me pretty easily that that was the injury and that was not the real Lucas Patrick. Because this is a guy that in over like 1,300 something snaps as a Packer allowed four sacks. Um. And in 300 snaps or whatever, as a bear, he allowed three. So, other than his rookie year, where he graded just slightly below average, I think it was like a 59 overall pass block grade from PFF, every other year of his career in Green Bay, he was above average to very good. He had a 75 season as a pass blocker. Has never been a lot as a run blocker, which is probably why they see him more as a center than a guard. Um... But this is a guy who, you know, four out of five seasons or whatever, has been an above-average pass blocker. The only time he had it was when he was a rookie and when he was clearly injured and missed the entire offseason. So if they signed a veteran center right now, like Jake Brendel, who the 49ers re-signed, um, if you compare their careers, Lucas Patrick is not noticeably worse than a Jake Brendel. It's just that he's the most recent impression we have of him is a bad one. But I am willing to admit the most recent impression that we have of him was probably influenced more by the injury than anything else. Um, and if he proves he's healthy and he wins the competition in camp, it, it's probably not the end of the world. He, he probably can be at least a competent center in terms of physical play and hopefully should be a big improvement for the Bears in terms over Mustafer in terms of knowing the offense, knowing the looks the defense are giving him, setting the protections, calling out all of those things, identifying the mic, all those things that you want a center to do. Um, so yeah, the one weak link is still center, um, but I do think there's reason to believe that however it shakes out, the winner of a white hair Patrick competition should certainly be better than what they had at center last year nonetheless. Right, yeah, it's very similar uh, to what we already talked about a bit, um, in that our center last year might have been the worst center in the league, um, and we're going to have a guy who is going to be okay at center, um, That's the whole, you know, yeah. one of Whitehair and Patrick will be fine. Uh, even if one of them is bad, one of them will be fine. I don't think yeah. either of them has a real shot at being great or anything like that. But yeah. um, I mean, if like I wanted to said, be, if I wanted being, to be, if I wanted to be super rationalization, if I wanted to go so hard into the copium, I would point out that yeah. like the last time Cody Whitehair did primarily play center, he was 
downright elite at the position as far as blocking goes. He had some snapping issues. Snap issues is why but, he hasn't played it since. Was, so let's hope he's cleared those. <clears throat> but if you want to go by like PFF pass blocking grades, especially Cody Whitehair was better as a center than he ever was as a guard. He was grading in the eighties. But the last time he played the majority of his reps at center was 2018, um, which is a fucking lifetime ago in NFL years as far as an offensive lineman who is now over the age of 30. So I don't think that's super relevant. I'm not going to talk myself into him as a center based off of what he did six years ago or whatever at the position. Um, But if I was going hard into the cope, and if you're listening and you want to cope harder than I am coping, uh, there's your cope. Go for that. Yeah. Yeah, so the big thing about this offensive line, I think, is last year going into the season, um, and when we talked about going into the season last year, this was one of my big harping points, because I thought the two teams who were going to compete for the number one pick would be the Bears and the Jets. The Jets was wrong, uh, because I underestimated the shit out of that defense. Uh, But the Bears, my reasoning was this. The wide receiver room and the offensive line were starting the season as a second-string unit. Our best-case scenario last year was that we would have a decent second-string unit playing the whole year for us, right? This Bears offensive line has a pretty solid starting five. I think if things go middle of the road, this is going to be like uh, maybe the best-case scenario what would be like 15th best in the league (coughs) if, if they all play throughout the year maybe like 20th, right? They're okay. It's a decent unit with some good stars. Now, here's the problem. Part of the reason I think that Whitehair and Patrick could be good is because they're flanked by two very good guards, I think. Both guards... I don't like to talk about injuries. Questionable injury history. They sure get hurt a lot. And Tev, specifically, I am very concerned about his back. I'll put it. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'll give you one quote for this one. If Tevin Jenkins plays all 17 games, if he starts all 17 games, I think the Bears win the North. I think they win it by a full game at least. Wow, you you think it hinges that much on Big Tev? Okay. I think if Tev sticks in there and doesn't get hurt, I think that's where we're at. I think as soon as Tev goes down. There is a domino effect. We we really don't have a backup guard specifically, and that is fucking dangerous with these two guards. So, yes, I will say I, I am interested to see how camp shakes out this year as far as the depth at guard goes because one guy we have not mentioned tonight but who is still around uh, is Alex Leatherwood. Um, yep. And I think... We saw enough of him at tackle, and they saw enough of him at right tackle last year to abandon that. I mean, obviously they went out and got Darnell right. So they, which again, very anti-Jerry Angelo move, because you can bet your ass. I just, I know in my bones, Jerry Angelo would have said, Ryan, Alex Leatherwood was the 17th overall pick two years ago. We still think there's untapped potential there. Um, And by the way, spoiler, when we talk about the the worst Bears tournament here in a couple weeks, I'm going to have three different guys I'm bringing up as Jerry Angelo's special bargain bin finds on the offensive line because he... um, But I I know in my soul that Jerry Angelo is still the general manager of the Bears. Alex Leatherwood would be getting too much of a chance at right tackle this year. But, uh, and this is damning with faint praise, his best position when he did play 
with the Raiders um, was left guard. He was still a bad left guard. <laughs> but I need to stress that, like, he was such a bad right tackle. <clears throat> the Raiders at one point removed him from a preseason game because they did not feel that they that, that they felt he was a danger to the health of their backup and starting quarterbacks at right tackle in the preseason. So, um, it, it's that's possible. the guy. To be clear, you're trying to sell me on as a depth at guard. No, I'm not trying to sell you. I'm saying <laughs> I am. He's a guy that I'm interested in hearing. I think that I think their plan now, though, with Darnell right on board, um, since they have not got, I think they intend to leave that guy. I think they intend to leave Leatherwood at guard, let him rep solely at guard, and hopefully prove that he can at least be a backup there. Because I mean, the physical tools there are still ridiculous. There is a reason that guy was drafted number seventeen overall. Um, I am very glad. They're not in any situation where they are where that guy's even in a competition to start. Yeah. Um, because again, previous Bears administrations would absolutely have just left that guy in a competition to start uh, and, and said, "Well, it was a first rounder. What do you want from me?" Um, but I do think there's enough talent there that you could you could talk yourself into. Well, maybe he'll show enough in camp. Maybe with a whole off season to learn the playbook. Maybe with a whole off season of coaching from the Bears. Maybe he will show enough that. They, they do feel good about him as a backup guard. Uh, Jatire Carter, or J- maybe Jatire Carter, uh, guy that they drafted uh, in the in the flurry of offensive linemen they took last year, guy they kept on the roster all year. They didn't even put him on the practice squad. They wouldn't risk him on the practice squad, even though he didn't play. They basically redshirted him. Um, I have heard that they like him, that they are high on his potential as a future guard. So I do think... Part of the reason we have not seen them sign a, a, a veteran depth guy on the interior like we thought is I think they do at least want to give those guys camp reps, preseason reps, to see if there is something there. Uh, and again, great that they're not... I think these guys are going to be in a competition for backup guard, not starting guard. Um, I do think, But I do think those are the two guys that are worth watching as... Maybe they think they have something there, not to start, but as depth and a guy that maybe does step in if Tevin gets hurt and a guy that if he performs well in Tevin's absence, maybe that is the guy who gets a chance to compete to start next year. Um, but then I do think if camp go, comes and goes and the preseason comes and goes and they are not impressed with either of those two guys, like they're hoping to be, Carter and, and, and Leatherwood, that's when I think you might see like a cut down signing of like a surefire veteran depth guard um yep to come in and because i don't think they will go into the season trusting that tevin jenkins and nate davis are both going to play the whole season if they don't feel good about at least one of the guys behind them and i do think like i said there i think with both jatire carter who's gotten a red shirt year and i think with um leatherwood there are reasons to just let them have that battle in camp and see what you have uh, but I don't think they'll be complacent and just roll with those guys no matter what. I think if those guys don't impress and camp don't show progress, they will go out and get another guy on the interior as insurance for a Tev injury or a Nate Davis injury. That's the one I, I think we feel very good about those two guys as starting guards. I will agree the guard depth kind of concerns me a little bit. 
Yeah, and I mean, you look at the other spots on the line. We have two centers, essentially, you are going to compete for playing time. So if one goes down, the other one goes in. I don't think we're we're too worried about that spot. I think at tackle, do you want Larry Borum to start 17 games? Absolutely not. <coughs> do you want Larry Borum to come in for a couple of games? I don't think that's going to kill you. Um, you know, if Darnell Wright or if Brax go down for a long period of time, yeah, that's going to be a big issue. But if Larry has to go in because somebody, you know, broke their toe and they're out for two weeks, I'm comfortable with Larry Bourne being in in that position. I think that's a good spot for him. At guard, I don't think we have that. I mean, the two guys you mentioned, man, that's a scary thought. But also, like you said, last year, you know, Paul showed exactly what he's going to do when cuts start happening. He's going to go out and take the guys he wants. And I think if last year the guys he got, Schofield and Reef, were backups, just solid backups all year, and we didn't have to be like, guys, you need to play and play well, I think those would have been pretty good pickups. And I do also expect, man, somebody's going to cut a couple guards. I think we're going to add to that spot with some depth. Um, but I do have to judge it based on what we've got right now, and right now those guard spots feel like the weak link to where if, if either of those links breaks, I the entire rest of the offense is going to be in trouble just so, on spot. All right, let's end this here. Um, what would you, if you had to put a letter grade, so I put a letter grade on the wide receiver room. If you were to put a letter grade on the offensive line as it's, as it's currently constituted, what's your letter grade there? Right now, I'm going to say B minus because there, there are too many questions. I don't have a question about Darnell Wright personally. Peepers, I I think that dude is going to be great from day one. Braxton Jones, he was very good, but we've also been in this position a lot as Bears fans, right? Where a guy improves and then we just say that's our guy, and then he never improves again, and the Bears keep saying that that's our guy, but he just kind of mid. So he he hasn't been a great left tackle yet. I do think he has the chance to become that, so I do like him. Tevin Jenkins, as long as he's playing, could possibly be a top that, And that's why I asked, because I think you have to factor in the pos- – I think you have to factor in the depth heavily on the offensive line, and you have you to do. factor in the injury risk. Na- uh, Nate um, Davis is the same way. Great guard, fantastic right guard. The dude isn't going to play 17 games. He, he hasn't yeah. shown the ability. And that's why I think right now I'm a little bit slightly more negative than you. I'm going to give the, the the unit as a whole a C+. Plus. Um, I, I think see that. I think right now I'm at like a solid B for the starting five. But I would give like, yes. I, I think that the current backup situation, until I hear some things in camp, until I see some things in preseason, I, those guys are like a D for me. And and, and, it, and offensive line injuries are baked in. It does not take a lot of injuries on this offensive line to get me pretty nervous again. Um, but yeah, I do. But I also, like I said, I understand the logic and I, I definitely think, um, like I said, I think you, you use camp to find out if you have something in a guy like Leatherwood, if you have something in a guy like Carter, and if they're not looking good, then that's when you go out and you add another veteran into the mix. I mean, one thing I'll mention is Michael Schofield's still out there as a free agent. Yeah. Uh, I almost think, like, worst-case scenario, if you're not liking, you know, you have many camps coming up in early camp, if you're not liking what you're seeing at that point, maybe you give Schofield a call and you say, because he is, I feel about Schofield um, a bit like I feel about 
Larry Borum as a tackle. For one, I don't think either of them is as good as as PFF said they were. Um, I don't think they're good. either one of them is a good run blacker, but both of them, at least in pass protection, generally tends to get in the way. They are not good pass protectors, but they're also not awful ones. They're um, competent backs yeah. is what yeah. they are. Yeah, so I, I do think that's always a possibility, too, that could be in the back pocket. Maybe they're just like, well, we're not signing Schofield right now because he's a veteran and we know what he is, but we also know that he's still out there. Um, and right now we want to give these reps to some younger guys. We would like to try to find some guys. I think Ian Cunningham and Poles both would desperately love to become the Eagles where there is a guy behind every guy. And so I think that's why, you, you know, Carter, Poles guy, har, high RAS, a lot of athleticism, but came from a small school, obviously needed the redshirt year. If they think there's something there and they want to give them the reps in camp to find that out, I'm okay with that. Um, but I don't think if that guy is not performing in camp, if Leatherwood's not performing in camp, I don't think they will just let this room sit the way that it is. But as it is right now, because of how it's constituted, because I don't feel good about the backups yet, it's still a C-plus unit for me. Which is, I mean, again, this was an F-minus unit last yes. year. Yes, that's It was an F-minus unit last year. And I think even in the best-case scenario, last year's line, if everybody had stayed healthy and they'd had the starting five that they wanted all year, that's still like a, that is like a D-plus unit at best. Yep. With F-minus yep. depth. And what yeah, we got. I mean, C-plus for this offensive line should be considered such an upgrade yeah, in one so, season. Yeah, uh, C-plus. So. And like I said, I, I think they have B starters, and if those five guys stay healthy against all odds, I think it's going to be a good unit. But, I mean, I, I do think at the offensive line especially, you bake in injuries into the prediction, into the prediction, and that's why i got to give them a C-plus right now. But I think, well, you know, if, if camp rolls around and people start saying, like, hey, Jatiri Carter really has impressed he has shown huge improvement from year one to year two, and I have heard they like him a lot. Um, then that makes me feel a little better. If if Alex Leatherwood is just left at guard, left to his own device as a guard, they're not messing with him at tackle anymore, and, and he starts to solidify and he starts to fix some of the footwork and hand issues, um, you know, he, that, that that's a guy that could still be, I mean, he is still a high upside dude. Uh, and I feel a lot better, like I said, about that guy competing for a backup job than competing for a starting job. Uh, but as it stands right now, with the information we have at hand, I, it's a C plus for me. So, yeah, I mean, I think we we saw what polls like to do last season, picking up guys right there at camp, guys who had either been cut or guys who had been available that whole time, and he just waited them out. If he does the same thing now, and those guys are slotted into backup roles, and we've still got these high upside guys, um, yeah, I think this could be a really strong, you know, offensive line room with a, a decent bit of depth. Um, and yeah, I mean, we did this last year. We did the same thing. I, I honestly bet that even if Carter or Leatherwood looks good, I bet he still goes out and grabs a couple vets, maybe even a tackle. Maybe even you're looking at a guy who got cut, and he's like, yeah, I, I'm just going to put a backup at tackle or something. I still do think, I, I'm still a little surprised that they that they did not find a replacement for Borum. Not that I don't think... They like Larry. I, they, I like they? they I mean, they benched him. They benched guy. him for Riley Reef, but no, um... Not that I think he's a bad swing tackle. I think he's a pretty competent this swing This is a dude tackle. who's going to be around but for like fucking seven years for he no is, reason. He's right. not a great athlete, and he's not the body type and the scheme fit they look for. So I yeah. thought they might swap Borum for a guy who isn't really better than Borum, but fits their scheme better than Borum. But so far, sure. they're still rolling with Larry. Um, 
The last thing I will say, the last thing I do, and we'll end the night on this, but did you see Larry Borum's reaction on Twitter to when they drafted Darnell Wright? I did. I felt so bad for the guy, but God, it was funny. He just tweeted LOL and then deleted it. Um, And I kind of wanted to be like, son, you got benched on the league's worst offensive line last year for Riley Reef. Did you really, up until this moment, think that you were still their guy? Like, did you... Were you not prepared for this possibility? Because you really should have been. such nice things to yeah. me. Uh, and the exit interview the went well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so. Anyway, so yeah, that's where we're at on the offense. I think as a whole, we expect this to be, this, this half of the ball to be more improved than the other half of the ball, probably, which we'll talk about next week, I think, because we have more position groups that are question marks, I think, on that side of the ball than we do on exactly. this side of the ball, which is rare for the Bears and feels kind of nice. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you folks next week. Go Bears. All right. Good night.